This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with lead foundation phase coach at Portsmouth Football Club, Eben Thomas. He discusses how to gain information about local environments and players when new to a role, the cage football mentality in London, and why he doesn't have a set football philosophy. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. Ebs, first of all, thank you for getting up, not too early on a uh, Wednesday morning, but for jumping on and doing this. Um, I guess no worries, thanks for having me on. First things, how are things, how's it being back into coaching and hopefully being back on the grass and all that type of stuff? Yeah, so so as you probably know, the, 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 the new normal is, is, is being banded around, so, so like everybody else and like other coaches probably up and down the country, um, we had to go through all these stages, stage one, stage two, and stage three, I believe. But thankfully, come through that now. So, um, so yeah, it's it's great to be back on the grass. I'm just hoping, fingers crossed, that we actually get to stay out of there before freaking we, we before we it, 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 we go back into lockdown. So, touch wood. Hopefully, 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 we don't. Um, but um, but yeah, it's been it's, it's been good. I I think you sort of realise how much you miss it when. You've not been able to do it for 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 quite a while, so um, that's no, been good. No, I agree with that. I think that um, obviously football world is manic at the best of times. There's always loads going on, and um, yeah, having this time for everyone to reflect, you probably go actually. Although it's manic, I enjoy the the chaos and the, the whatnot, so that we're able to obviously do the thing we enjoy. So. Yeah, it's, um, fingers crossed. I'm hopeful. I think that if schools don't shut down, hopefully football won't shut down because I think. Yeah, no, I hope to, Mike, because cause the amount of planning and work that's gone in to, to, to then not be able to, 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 to undertake it, and I think I speak for most people, it would just be um, tragic because, like I said, there, there, there's nothing, there's only so much you can do over Zoom. There's only so much you could do pre recorded, but like, everybody, like all coaches, you, you just want to be actually out there underground and, and then putting it on so fingers crossed he says hopefully so I, I guess what's important for everyone to start is um you kind of like saying what your current role is um obviously we met on the a license um so i've kind of got an understanding of what you do and your role but if you just want to explain for everyone listening kind of what you do at the moment and what that entails yeah so i'm the to give its proper official title lead foundation phase coach at portsmouth fc so in normal everyday speak what does that mean so basically i oversee all the boys from 7 to 11 within the academy um and all the coaches that come under that remit so um it's quite what it's quite wide it's quite varied um so that's my primary role although i sometimes will then jump in with some of the older age groups but primary or primarily that is my role at the, at the football club so overseeing all the sevens to to 11s within the academy and how long have you been in that role? So with Portsmouth, it is coming up to two years, which is quite scary because it's literally flown by. Um, so, so yeah, you, you, like you said, when when you're enjoying it and it's hectic, and someone goes, "By the way, you know, you come up to like two years," you're going, "Oh yeah, Jesus Christ, it, it's two years." So, um, 
so yeah, it, it's been a very, very enjoyable two years. Um, but then I've been, I, I, I did a similar role at Barnet for 10 months prior to that. So, um, so yeah, so, so overall kind of not three years in terms of the role, but specifically with Portsmouth come up to two. And how, obviously you alluded to there, kind of going from Barnet to Portsmouth, how did you find that transitions in terms of differences between the clubs? Um, was there anything that stood out to be different? Was it the player type? Yeah, what were the differences? Oh, yeah, de de definitely the player type. So all my experiences have been in London um, in terms of dealing with children and within that environment. So in London, it is a macrochasm of, of different cultures of, of, of people who come in from all different parts of the world um, and there is a kids in in London have a certain trait which I believe is is determined by the culture um, and coming down to Portsmouth coming outside of that London bubble was quite um, uh, what's the word? It, 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 not a shock, but it, a, a lot of a difference because you're going, oh, I'm not used to this, and oh, they do this differently. So, primary example, um, in London, you ask the kids to be on time, nine times out of ten, ten o'clock means they start rocking in at like five past ten, ten past ten. Um, whereas here, um, I say five o'clock and everybody's there at quarter two. So I've had to change my stance within that because, so I've had to go the other way, if that makes sense, because especially now during COVID rules, we've absolutely hammered the boys in terms of being on time, being, being early. So they've literally taken that to the, to the literal sense. So I'm going, you can't be here before half past 10 and boys are turning up at quarter past 10. And I'm going, I love that. Brilliant, because you're getting there early. But actually, I really do need you to turn up when I say to turn up. Um, but then, like I said, it's just differences in terms of um, everybody knows in London there's sort of a cage culture. So kids go and play in cages because there's not that much free space. Whereas down in Portsmouth, there, there is and, and boys are able to go and do a number of different sports. Um, there are similarities between being in the city, as Portsmouth is, as, as well as London. Um, but um, yeah, there are definitely some, some similarities, but there are also some, some differences within that which has been nice to come across and see because not too many times you get to come out of your own sort of bubble. And how how's that challenged you as a coach? Because I imagine if you're used to kind of that London environment with the different culture stuff out there and then you've come out of that, I'd imagine that would present some different challenges and whatnot for you. Oh, definitely. Like the first thing, for example, is just the language. So... In London, kids will have a specific language and growing in and around that, I'm able to differentiate and go, right, I understand what it is. So it differentiates of, of, of um, so slang. So obviously you've got kids who come, who've got Caribbean heritage or African heritage or Filipino or Asian, da, da, da. So that all gets mixed into a melting pot and then they have their own language within that. So I was able to differentiate it. Whereas I came down here and the language is completely different. And so, so, for example, I've never, ever, ever heard the phrase jacks. So, okay. so, so, for example, we were playing a game and kids are going, just jacks it. And I was like, right, what on God's earth does that mean? And the kids are literally looking at me like, what? You, you, and, and, and they're going, oh, that means stepping over the ball. And I'm just like, oh, we don't have that. Over in London, jacks is, is see it. 
so 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 see it and then they'll go right so it's all those different bits so i've had to change that um obviously in london some of the kids are more rough and ready if that makes sense um and just due to the challenging um the challenging environments you have to probably be a little bit more sterner and you have to go right these are the rules in which we're operating within whereas like i say kids down here are are a lot more um not well behaved they're just a, a little bit more appreciative but then if anything the mindset probably in london is is much stronger in terms of i really want this tell me what i need to do and i'll go and do it because because over there it's a survival sort of mode because there's just so many kids within a specific area and everything else like that so um so yeah it, it's it, those are some of the differences and it's challenged me because now i've had to become I've had to adapt into the environment in which I'm in. So there's certain things that I can't, that I could do in London, which just certainly just wouldn't work down here. But there's things that I couldn't take back to London that I've learned from here because they simply, it just simply wouldn't work in that environment. Have you got any examples of things you would do in London that you wouldn't be able to do in your current role? Yeah. So for example, um, like, so, so the boys over in London, I would possibly so it'd be a lot more fast tempoed. There'd be a lot more tricks and skills. There'd be a lot more in terms of a challenging environment. So I'd be able to take the boys, for example, into a cage and then we would have the 10s to go and train with the 12s and it would be full on blooded because, because that's the, what they're used to. So over in London, you would have a situation where so we have, in London, there's a cage mentality, whereas a kid could be as old as 15, a kid could be as young as 10. You'd have to earn your right to go and play in the cage. And if you weren't as a, of a certain level, you simply wouldn't get onto the cage. Whereas down here, I couldn't really do that because it would be counterproductive. So the boys would just be like, well, there's just physically much taller and you just don't get that. You just don't get that sort of thing there. Whereas here, down here, I'd be able to... Um, possibly take them into much smaller groups, talk to them, and 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 the information will probably reside a lot lot more quicker. Whereas in London, I would have to be very very short, very very quick, and within what I with what I want, because the boys will probably play more freestyle, as it were. In London, there's not too much of a um, they don't want too much structure because too much structure takes away from the creativity. So I'm going to get back to the cage stuff in a bit, because when uh, when we had this discussion um, on the course, it not blew my mind, but it was something I didn't realise how much of a culture it was. And I really want to like pick up on that. But just yeah. something that you, you said earlier on, which was um, about you, by you growing up in London, you had an appreciation for all the different cultures and stuff that were there and were able to identify them within the kids. Do you think, <clears throat> sorry, do you think it's important that coaches can identify with the kids about cultures that are important to them? And I guess the next question off the back of that is if you do think it's important, how do you think a coach coming from the outside could go and immerse themselves in those types of coaches, uh, cultures? Yeah, so I think it's, I think it's definitely, definitely important that you, as coaches, you get to know your kids and and understand what their culture is 
but certainly what their culture is in which they've grown up within, because that will have an impact upon the child and their behaviours. So, i.e., for example, in London, I came across kids who would come. So at Barnet in North London, there's a massive, massive, um, like, Jewish community, as well as um, a large Italian expat um, community. So, for example, Italians are very, very... So some of the kids I coach, they'll be very expressive with their hands and everything else. Now, if you were from the outside and didn't know that, you could take that as a form of disrespect and go, well, well, why are you throwing your hands up? Why are you, why are you walking away and everything else like that? Whereas learning that and going is not a form of disrespect. That's just a way of expressing, expressing it. You take it for what it is, if that makes sense. So, so because what you don't want to do is, I always talk about building relationships. So part of building a relationship is knowing the child before the player. So I need to, like I said, I need to go, well, actually, what are, what are some of your cultural norms? So in an Italian family, like I say, it is very, very, um, and I've just seen this a number of times firsthand, it's very, very, we're expressive. We won't tend to be, right, you talk first, I talk, then you talk. It's like, if it's, an, if it's a disagreement, we're all shouting over each other. And like I said, from afar, you could go, oh my God, that looks a bit scary. I'm going to avoid that. And like I said, if a child is brought up within that environment, that's what they're used to. Um, whereas, for example, in a child from the Caribbean, a normal cultural trait would be they're very, very laid back. So again, if you're a coach and you're about, it's all about tempo, it's all about hype, da, 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 and a kid comes in from that background and he's not, then you will tend to, you will tend to take that as, well, you're not serious. No, he is. He's just he just understands that you've got to understand that his cultural background is that they're very laid back people. They take things on board, they process it differently. And and so so I think that is definitely, definitely um important to, to go out. So for example, in Portsmouth, when I first moved down here, I didn't appreciate how big the the services were because it's a naval it's a naval city. As part of my introduction to it, I went down to the historic dockyard and actually got to understand and go, listen, this isn't just a case of, well, a load of people went to war from here. This is ingrained within the city and this is what we expect our kids to know and this is what they take on board and we want them to be respectful of this and understand the sacrifices that have gone before. So I need to know that as a coach especially in this area, because I go, okay, right, now I understand why um, a parent might have a high discipline level because they're all ex-military or they're all ex-navy compared to a child in London who probably hasn't seen a beach, let alone knows about what the, what the Royal Navy is in, in depth. I think, obviously, that's a, that's a great example of how you managed to immerse yourself. I guess the question from going in, if you had a Portsmouth coach... Um, someone, someone who'd lived in Portsmouth and stuff and they were going to go and work at Barnet and do a job swap with you or whatever at the time and they said to you um, I want to get to know the kids I want to go a similar route you uh, you went down how do you think they could go about gaining that knowledge because obviously it's I guess a little bit more challenging in terms of there's probably not like an Italian area or Italian, yeah. any ways you could say about them gaining the knowledge would be great no, definitely. So, so, so something that's really simple, that is inexpensive, just go out into the area. 
go out into the area and actually visit the local high street. Go and visit if they've got like, so for example, like I said, coming down here, I went to the historic dockyard and then find out that they've got like a museum thing and all that. And you go, oh, okay, right. So, so I can go and do that. That's not, that's inexpensive. I can go and learn the history of the area. But then also, I think what coaches are getting better at is actually having what I call real conversations with the kids. I get to know the kids. So I get to know the kid who is jovial, who comes up and go, hi, my name is da 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 But then it's also about the questioning. So, so I always use and go, so what do you do at school today? Oh, why did this, 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 this? Oh, what was the most enjoyable part of your day? Do you know what? I really enjoy history. Oh, do you now? Well, what do you like about history? So all of a sudden now, I'm starting to build relationships just through my questioning and the kids don't really understand it. Um, secondly, it's probably about um, getting them or involving the kids within the decision-making process. So, for example, when I came down here, I knew some of the things, like I said previously, some of the things that I'd done in London wouldn't necessarily work here. So you ask them and go, well, how did you guys find that? Or what would you do differently? And then all of a sudden, like I say, you start to build the key word, you start to build relationships. So, and then you start to get to know the personalities. Another thing which is massive for me is actually having conversations with all the stakeholders. So I'm not talking about you having an hour long conversation, but go and talk to the parents. Go and have a conversation with the parents. And then all of a sudden you get to find out little trinkets of information. So people are quite forthcoming with their information. So the parents will go, oh, I see da 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 Oh, yeah, I'm from wherever. Oh, how was it? Or I'm going back home. Oh, do you mind if I ask where's back home? Oh, actually, back home is Trinidad Tobago. Oh, how often do you go there? Oh, did I, Eben, I need to go there because with the greatest respect, I can't deal with nine months of rain. Oh, okay. No, I, I completely understand that. So all of a sudden, by just having those conversations with them, you start to build up. You start to build up an encyclopedia of knowledge of all the individuals. And then you start to get to know the kids and then you go, right, I understand this. And then all of a sudden, it helps you in terms of your practice as a coach. And, and that's some of the simplest things I've done that I've gone and found, found works. And what, what made you do that in the first place? What what was the reasoning before going that? Because I know obviously some coaches do do it, some coaches don't. What was the reason you decided that was the route you wanted to go down to get to know the the person before the player? Um, so I'm all about. So I, my, my my own personal mantra is is that I'm here to improve you as a player. Before I can improve you as a player, I need to know what makes you tick, and I need to know you as a person. If I'm going to know, need to know you have a person, I need to gather information about you. Now, if you are 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you're still probably figuring out who you are with the greatest respects. So actually, I need to go and f where else can I go to go and find this information? And I just think that if you get to know the person and you get to know the cultural traits, you're able to then design a session or you're able to design a program which gets the best out of everybody and treats the individual first as a person who then hopefully goes on to become a better person and a better player overall but I just think in this age now where we are I don't think you can afford if we're talking about everyone goes well we want the best players and I did I go brilliant but then how do you know what motivates that kid 
or how do you know what what doesn't motivate the kids? So, for example, if I go, so there was one lad I used to have, no, there's a couple of lads I used to have back in London. One who I used to have to be on his back because he used to be, right, that's the only way, that's what motivates me, and that's the only way you've got to get me to get everything. Whereas another child, if I screamed, shouted to the roof, he, he, I could, if I do it to him, blew in the face, he'd be like, well, that's nice. But again, it's not going to make me do what I want to do. So again, it's about understanding to get them to come on side to then help them improve because because you because that's the that, that that's my role as coach my role as a coach is to make you first and foremost a better human and hopefully a better footballer so i need to know everything and everything about you to to, to help you on your pathway and was there someone that input those values into you was there was there an experience that you had that you were like oh that's why you need to get to know the person first or yeah so 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 I've, I was lucky in terms of my pathway before I came into academy football. Um, I used to be a social inclusion officer at a charity who used to work with a number of kids who were basically they were, they were in the midst of being excluded out of school. So um, I met a woman who, is, who I'm still in contact with who, who's brilliant um, and she sat me down and was just like, right, so these kids, you've got to try and earn their trust because everybody else in society is basically giving up on them to go, you are basically not worth my time. I've got a class of 35. You are taking up 80% of my time. So how are you going to change their mindset to go that you actually care about them and you know, that you're actually here to help? So that was the one conversation that resonated with me. And I was like, oh, actually, do you know what? Well, that just doesn't apply here. That applies to everywhere, doesn't it? It implies to, it applies to every child wants to know and go, how are you going to improve me as a person and as, as a player? So, so that experience has definitely sort of put me on a pathway to, to go and find out about the person first and foremost. Because everybody's different. You are never going to meet two people who are exactly the same. Everyone's got their own traits. Everyone's got their own motivations. Um, and, and like I said, that part of the role is to try and find that. But, but like you said, not, it's, it's not everybody does it. And I can completely understand and, 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 and see it for what it is. But for me personally, getting to know the person first helps me then go, right, we can move forward. And, and I know what you potentially need to get to where you need to get to. Okay, so this links back to something you said a little bit earlier, but also kind of what you're saying now, which is obviously working with those types of kids, uh, and I've done similar in terms of my, my upbringing, um, it's important to allow them to be themselves, but obviously you also need to have non-negotiables or boundaries which are set for the safety of them, themselves and, and the group and you and whatnot. So how do you go about creating an environment where people are allowed to be themselves and mm -hmm. be, be the person that they are with the culture they are, with the upbringing they've got, but also kind of, get, kind of come together in like a framework, in a team framework, in a group framework, which allows you to get the best out of one another? So, so it's really interesting, like what you've just said, in terms of... It comes to it, it comes at the beginning where you have the non-negotiables. But rather than me saying what the non-negotiables are, 
it is a team collective. So as a team, we will sit down. So I've done it many times where I've sat down with the group and I've gone, what actually right? So what are going to be the rules in inverted commas that we are going to abide by as a group and that we hold each other responsible for? So all kids are, I think we don't give them enough credit for what they do. So a lot of them are quite switched on and a lot of them will go, well, actually, this isn't acceptable. This is acceptable, but you get group collective um, buy-in. And basically, that's what I then use going forward. So, for example, a number of the kids, a number of groups I've had in the past, they've gone, do you know what? When we come here, we are going to give 100% effort in everything that we do. So then we drill down and go, well, what does that 100% effort look like? Or what does effort look like to you and to you and to you? And they go, well, effort is um, not walking, for example, back in, if we're defending that we all work really, really hard. And then you just use that as the, as the rules that underpins everything that you do going forward because those are the what rules that the kids have given to you. And, and because they've given it to you, everybody abides by it, everybody signs up to it. So then going forward, that's what we use in terms of the barometer to go, oh, remember, it's not what I said, this is what you guys said. And at the moment, are you showing 100% effort at that moment in time? No, nah, do you know what? I'm not showing 100% effort that time and then that's a collective buy-in right across different cultures and everyone's had an, a chance to have their input into it and that's for me one of the most simplest things that we get collective buy-in the non-negotiables um without me dictating to them that everybody then um everyone has their input and then like i say we move forward and those are the rules in which we abide by for a certain amount of time so then how do you go about ch uh, challenging someone if they're not doing that? So I'll go back to your example earlier. You, if you're working with someone from an Italian heritage who can be very expressive and stuff, they might have, I don't know, they might not have been passed the ball for a sweaty and they're fuming. So they're then getting more and more work. Yep. It's happened two or three times and then they get to a point where they boil over. They're wanting to either storm off or they're not willing to run back or anything like that how would you go about constructively challenging people in in those behaviors so i will probably look in terms of so i will focus on the positive so you might not have received the sway but then what have you done brilliantly that has created the opportunity for your teammate to have that shot so all of a sudden it's it, it's it's spinning on its head so the kids go well actually i created space but if he didn't create space he doesn't get that shot does he Oh, yeah, 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 Reverend, brilliant. Like you said, all of a sudden, if I think, or oh, actually, right, tensions are boiling here and they're about to storm off, all of a sudden, it's things continuing. Come and have a chat with me. So what's, what, what, what's the problem? I'm not getting this, 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 this. Oh, okay, right. Completely understand. Let's come up with a plan between me and you in terms of how, how are you going to go and get the ball more? What are some of the strategies that we're going to put in place to make you more effective or be able to do what you're trying to do. Well, Eben, I can do this. Oh, brilliant. Oh, Eben, I can do this. Brilliant. I'll tell you what, for the next two minutes, go and try it and then come and have a chat with me and, and all of a sudden come. So all of a sudden, just by having that little conversation, it refocuses. It gives them their own um, sort of, it gives them their own little uh, mission, as it were, to focus on and their own but then it refocuses their minds and it takes them away from that emotion for the moment because now they've got something else which I can focus on. And then, or it might be a case of going, do you know what? For the next 
two minutes. See how many times you can go and touch the ball. I would always go, let's go arbitrary. Let's see if you can touch the ball 10 times. If they come back and, train and, and touch the ball 50 times, my God, you've gone to surpass even what I was thinking. Smile comes up on their face. All of a sudden, they've forgotten about what they were thinking about literally, what, two, three minutes ago? So it's just keeping them re-engaged. And, and, and then that's the skill of the coach of going, knowing your players, knowing their trigger points and going, oh, this is about to happen. This is where I might need to intervene and give them a challenge to then, to then change that mindset into getting focused and not blow up. And then we can reevaluate it at a later point during the game. Now, I think what you're alluding to there is obviously some really skillful work in terms of understanding your, your group and knowing how to re-engage them as what and why. Because um, we all have challenging players in our groups for various ways. It might be they get too aggressive and then they go around smashing everyone. It might be they're not aggressive enough. It might be that they got a short fuse, whatever it might be. But um, yeah, the, the ability to identify when they're getting close to that and trying to realign the goal for them, uh, obviously, is, is good. Um, have you had experience of trying that as they get older in terms of like, I guess, teenage years around under 30s, under 14s? And if you have, how's it worked in those age groups? Because I imagine they're getting to a stage where they kind of know what you're trying to do. And <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 you know what, Mike, it's, it, it's interesting because when you start getting to 13, 14, now all of a sudden they're all going through hormonal changes. Do I mean, the, the, the stroppy teenager tag in inverted commas comes in because like you said, they're a bit like, oh, well, what do you know? And oh, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to sort of find myself, or find my position within the group because now they're more aware of other people and where they are within that group. So, so that is where, again, it comes down to the skill of the coach in terms of a 13, 14-year-old, like you said, I'm not going to go, oh, go and run around and see how many times you can touch the ball. But they'll be like, well, number one, it doesn't fit in, in regards to the technical, tactical side of the game because coach might go, if I said it to the right winger and he falls on the left-hand side and he goes flying out to the left and goes, oh, you said touch it as many times as possible, it's not realistic to the game because all of a sudden we've got a massive gap on the right-hand side and then my right fullback is getting irate because he's going, I've got two versus one, I've got two versus one. Now, you might swing that and go, well, that's the challenge, but you might go, yeah, but now it's an unrealistic challenge because they've, the opposition have, have identified it. So pretty much what I would tend to do and what I've done in the past is that um, I just have, I, 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 we, I have strategies where I go, right, do you want to have a conversation or do you want to have a real conversation? So what that means is, is that the boys, if the boys go, right, let's have a real conversation, they know and go, right, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Let's have a, let's have a, a real coach to play a conversation about, right, what's the problem? And then I will guide them to go, well, what's the strategy and how do you come up with it? Because they need to understand, especially if they're 14, they need to understand that you've got to come up with your strategies because you're fighting for your scholarship in, 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 in effect, 18 months time. And, and, uh, so what does that look like? Or or it might be a case of going, giving them some, some space and going, if you need to talk to me, this is where I am. If you need to come in, because so, so rather than me encroaching on their space and they're thinking, oh my God, I know what I've done wrong because you've got, like you so said, you've got different characters and some, some don't want to, some don't want the coach to constantly be going, oh, let's have a chat. Let's have a chat because they're going, well, actually, I know what I did wrong. I just need some time and some space to go away and do it. 
Or it might even be a case of, and I've done it in the past, where we might not tackle it there and then because heat of the moment, emotions are running high, you're in the thick of battle game, and we might look to look upon it 24 hours later. So at training, we might go, oh, actually, right, so when everything, when the dust has settled, you know when you did this and this and this and this? Oh, yeah, yeah, what were you thinking? Well, actually, this is what I was thinking there. Well, if you were to be put back in that situation, what might you do? Well, actually, I might have done this, actually. And then I might, as a coach, go, well, actually, I saw it like this. So now you're getting two perspectives and they're going, oh, right, I understand, brilliant. So, so yeah, so with the older ones, I would tend to, again, it goes down to knowing your players. Sometimes it is a, right, let's have a conversation, forget about the game and, and, and challenge you in that way. But other times it might be a case of, actually, I need you to go through these experiences and then we'll review it 20, 12, 24, 48 hours because that is the time in which you need and then it's good because you would go away and you'll reflect and then you'll come back and now we can have that conversation. Okay, so I'm going to move on to something that I said earlier I wanted to. Cage football. So yes. when, when you guys told me about this, I was kind of aware of it, but obviously growing up, um, I grew up just in a place called Basingstoke, just south of Reading or whatever. Um, and it wasn't as big a thing where I was, if I'm being brutally honest. Similar to Portsmouth, yeah. we had fields and parks and stuff. We used to go and play down, but we wouldn't be down cages. Um, so when you explained this to me, I was my eyes lit up. I thought it was brilliant. Can you explain for people that maybe, similar to me, didn't have that kind of culture, what the cage football culture is like, I guess, if you know how it came about, and kind of not the brutality of it, but like the rules, kind of what you said earlier on, which is if you're not good enough, you're not playing, all of that type of yeah. stuff. So, so basically, cage football stemmed out of... Um, um, in London, as, as probably everybody knows, it is a highly, highly densely populated sort of city. So it got to a stage where um, we, we simply didn't have fields that you could go into. So growing up, there used to be a point of it, cage football stemmed out of street football. So growing up, a load of kids, you literally would go down into like the no entry area. So at the bottom of the road, you have a no entry sign. So cars can only come up one way. So parents used to go, Oh, from a safety point of view, only cars coming up the road. So brilliant, you lot go and play down there. So, so you basically, cage football stemmed out of, of street football. And as kids, you used to basically try and play wherever you could be. In London over time, basically um, the classic no street football, no football here basically came up. So we weren't allowed to play in the streets. We weren't allowed to go and play in the fields. Fields were getting turned into houses, etc., etc. So all of a sudden cages came up so this was an area where local councils just went right we've got to put a cage there and we've got to make it multi-use so it could be football it could be basketball but kids can basically go down there as you can imagine in a particular area of say there was 100 kids there might be two cages so if there are two cages as you can imagine everybody and everybody wants to go in there so all of a sudden unwritten rules came up and it was a case of to get onto the cage you had to be the best or you had to show that you could that you warranted coming onto the cage so there were literally and this is where I found it really fascinating because we talk about age groups at academy level and go oh you can only play a year above but if we talk about two years above people are a bit like oh actually is that a safeguarding issue 
in cage football, literally, you could literally have a 12-year-old playing against a 16-year-old. And it wouldn't matter how old you are. It was literally down to, if you were good enough, you would then gain the respect to come and play effectively. If you weren't good enough, then you simply had to go and sit out <coughs> and watch, grab a football or, or get good enough to then come back in. There was one rule that whoever's ball it was always got to play because obviously it was their ball. So if they took their ball home then, and no one else had the football, then that's pretty much it. So the, so the kid who had the football pretty much made the rules. So we did. So as you can imagine, the amount of stuff that you that, that came out from that in terms of. So when I was twelve, I would play against sixteen-year-olds, and sixteen-year-olds wouldn't look at you and go, "Oh, because you're twelve, we've got to take it easy." Like literally, you would get smashed up the side of a cage. Now, if everyone's seen the cage, back in London, they used to make it out of this like, literally, it was metal basically, and and it wasn't stuff that you'd want to get. So all of a sudden, you're going. I get the ball, I've got 15 people running towards me. I've got to move the ball quick because if not, I'm going to get kicked up against this wall. And even if you did get kicked up against it, again, part of the rules were, what, what are you going to cry? Or oh, well, if you're going to cry, well, maybe this ain't, the, this ain't the ring for you. Maybe we need to get you off and get someone else in. So it toughened you up a little bit. So, And then because the cages were quite small also, Again, like I said, there used to be 20 players on this, no bigger than 20 by 20. So all of a sudden, you're, I mean, you're, 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 you get past one and then all of a sudden you've got literally two or three people hunting you for the ball. So you have to be skillful. You have to move the ball quickly. And then from there, within your little area, you'd, you'd like reputations were based upon how you did in the cages. So all of a sudden, if you were really, really good and whatnot, there used to be certain days where, again, you had to be of a certain level to, to come and play. And, and, and we used to have a league table. So, again, if you weren't of a standard, then thank you very much, but you've got to get out of it because you, you're just not up to the standard in which we're trying to play. And, and so you take that now, you take those from all the skills that you learn from there, you take it into playing against kids your own age, it was an absolute doddle. You, 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 you do things, you just be like, well, God, I'm playing against kids who are four, five, six years older than me. Uh, what's interesting there is obviously you mentioned about coping strategies in terms of being a 12 to 16, uh, or the 12, under 12 versus an under 16, which I think at that age you do learn, you'll, well, you'll learn quickly to start moving the ball quicker or you're learning quickly how to handle yourself and all that type of stuff. Um, one question, I guess, linking to what you said there is you, you mentioned about go and get better in order to be able to get in the cage. How would yeah. people go about that? Again, that would be, that would be, so obviously there used to be a number of kids that didn't get there. So all of a sudden you would go, right, do you know what? So you'd go and basically just do your own little one-on-one. -on -one. So, so again, you go and get, a mate or you'd go and try and do keepy-uppies you try and practice the skills at home you try and everything else like I said you try and probably get there a little bit early so down at my local cage you always used to know that the better players basically would come at a specific time so you knew between this time and this time you, you ain't getting on the court so if you got there early they, so there used to be like a like a an underlying group that used to come on before the better kids because they'd all go, we want to get there. So you'd all challenge each other. So if anything, 
the challenge became greater without the bit without the better kids because now you're going because now those kids will come and kick you or you would be more expressive and go right I'm going to try this and see how it gets on and so you or you'd go and like I said there's a number of different ways you'd go into the cages you go and grab a mate and you'd be like right I need to practice my passing and between the two of you for an hour you would literally go right one touch and you would literally <laughs> be ball one touch right we're going to do it on a weaker foot go on then right let's do it then you challenge each other and go right because you know I mean we used to, used to do it Mike where on my parents road like obviously you have parked cars so you used to go right we're going to try it so like where there's a gap in between the cars you, you put something down like an old basketball rim and you go right from there you've got to try and clip it into the car uh, into the in, into the little rim or to the bin now as you can imagine the cars will be the ob objects and you go right if you get it wrong and we smash a car you best believe in london the owner of that car is going to come running out and give you some verbal but so the pressure was we can't hit those cars so all of a sudden i'm working on my accuracy and everything else and then all of a sudden you go i think i'm ready now you go back to the cage and they'd be like oh okay right come on in let's let's have a little 2v2 bang, right, coming in, and then all of a sudden, oh, actually, you're not too bad, right, we're doing this, and then you slowly but surely climb the ladder, but again, it was, it, it was tough, but it was good in terms of, it, it, it was, it, 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 differentiated, it differentiated those who really wanted it, and you'd go away and work on your craft without being told, or if you didn't, you'd go off and do something else. And would there be reputations across areas? So oh, yeah, like, definitely. Yeah? Definitely. So, so there will be times where, and, 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 and people need to understand, this weren't just like local kids. This was, if you were at West Ham, Leighton, Chelsea, whatever, you, you, you were still jumping with that. You were still jumping with it. And if anything, you had to, your rep, if you were at Chelsea and you come to the cage, like literally, that wouldn't matter, if anything, because people would go, oh, you're at Chelsea, coming in, right. The level gets raised. Right, coming in, we've got to go play. And then if you couldn't handle it, they'd be like, well, what the hell are they teaching you at that, at that academy? Because you, you can't even keep all with us here. So, and, 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 and that's the level. Yeah, there'd be times where you travel, like I said, like East will go and play West and you have informal little leagues. And then again, bragging rights or you have year groups. So again, we did at school, you had year groups where it'd be like, right, year seven, well, at, at, when I was in year seven, we had an unreal football team. And then all of a sudden, like, so you go and play the year eights. Again, it'll be like 30 versus 30 with one ball and everything else. Like, literally, to the point where even in cage football in schools and whatnot, you, you, you forget to go and eat and have lunch. Because literally, you play from 12 until the whistle went. And then you're thinking, God, I haven't eaten. Well, that's gotta, I've, got, I've got to suffer now for the next three hours. So, um, so, yeah, it used to be, like I said, different age groups, different schools different areas will play each other. Um, do, do you know what I mean? Like, like, again, if you had siblings, like, do you know what I mean? Like, you had to make sure that if you had a younger brother that he was up to standard because, again, that would reflect upon you. So, again, you go back to, well, how would you improve him? Right, we're going into, we're going out, right, get a football, we're going to play curveball or we're going to trip out over this because, again, you're looking for when he comes to play football, then again, people going, oh, you're so-and-so's brother. Okay, you've got to be of a certain standard coming here. And then if not, then all of a sudden that reflects upon you. So, um, 
loads of different things, loads of different ways in, in terms of how we did it then. So I, I imagine in, in those um, in those games, like you said, you can have a little bit of creativity within the chaos because you know a lot of players in small areas, you can have people with good feet to get out of tight areas. Did you ever come across people that were brilliant in those environments, brilliant in cages, but then when they go to 9v9, 11v11, whatever it is, they struggled a bit more because there was a little bit more structure to it? Yeah, so so I, I, there, there are loads of friends who you put structure to it, that wasn't for them. You couldn't, they were, like I said, the cages were very creative and and the great thing about the cages was is that you've never had anyone going, it's a 4-4-2. It's a, it's a 1-3-1. It's a, you've got to go play right wing. You literally did what you wanted to do within the informal structure. Whereas a load of my friends, when they went into an environment which had structure, so all of a sudden now you're telling my mate who's been in a cage who pretty much gets on the ball all the time, for example, and you're telling him, we're going to play a 4-4-2, or by the way, you're playing right midfield and the ball always goes down the left and he's going, what, what, what's this? Like, I need the ball. And then, and as you can imagine, subsequently, he drifts to where the ball is because that's what he's used to. And then you've got someone going, no, you can't do that. Well, what do you mean I can't do that? I want the ball. So a load of friends literally left, didn't go into the 11v11 game and went more down the route of, um, later on, futsal, and later on, um, just normal five-a-side and, and, and seven-a-side because that's what they were. But then a number of friends did did transition, and because of all the things that they'd learnt from there, it was easier for them, and structure wasn't really a problem. But then they were usually put in the more the creative roles in which they saw the ball quite so, i.e., yeah, so now nowadays you talk to kids and everyone's going, no, I'm a number 10. Because they go, that's the sexy position. I get to get on the ball. I get to score goals. I get to, and that's what and that's what a load of my friends went into. They went into the ten role, or they went into the the CDM role, as 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 it's known these days, or CAM, and 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 got on the ball. So um, for some, yes, but for others, they were like, no, this is not for me because I'm not about structure. I just want to go and play with freedom. And I guess that part of the skill of a coach is trying to take those players that have got undoubted ability and, and skills and, like you said, drive, because to come through that environment, you've got to have some drive to do it and try and fit them in to a team. I'm not saying necessarily structure, but try and fit them into a team. The classic example that I've been able to see up close is someone like Adil Tarat, who's one of the best footballers in terms of ability to go past people and that but just didn't play by everyone else's rules almost and that kind of thing well, 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 well that's the thing exactly like you said because Neil Warnock when right me asking Adele Tarrat to go and track back 50 yards he, he ain't gonna do it but he gives me something else going forward and he wants to get onto the ball now the skill like you said the skill of the coach now becomes you can't have 11 Adele Tarrats because it simply just doesn't work but then but then, like you said, it's about guidance. So I always go to coaches and, 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 and coaches I've worked with. I go, the skill of the coach is not to try and make the player who you want to make the player to be, but it's understanding what skill set he's had to allow him to flourish. So if you've got a dribbler, you telling him to constantly pass the ball, it's probably not going to work because all he wants to do is, is dribble. You've got to try and feed in and go, there's got to be times where you dribble 
and there's going to be times where you probably need to come up with a strategy apart from dribbling what does that look like but then it's about building super strengths and then and then drip feeding little bits to 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 not take away not take away the skill or the massive plus points which brought them to your attention in the first place because i see so many kids now who are robots who just go i just pass and I just pass, and I just pass. Or kids who go, um, but I used to be a dribbler, and I used to really take on players. So I always say, for example, when you look at a centre-half, for example, every coach or, or most clubs I go to, they go, I want my centre-half to be comfortable with the ball, but I just want him to lay it off and play. And I go, but if he's, if he's really comfortable in 1v1 situations, why won't you go actually drop a shoulder to, oh, no, but Eben, if he loses the ball, then they go and ping it to a corner. I go, but what, what happens if he is a Rio Ferdinand, a Royals Royce of a defender who can just go, I can step into midfield, I can create overloads. Oh, yeah, well, and, and you have a number eight who recognises really, really well and goes, well, if Rio's going to go do that, when he does that, I just naturally drop in because I love to defend. I just love getting my body in the way. Old school Nemanja Vidic. I'm just a, I just love to defend. What, what, what's wrong with that? Oh, no, there's nothing wrong. So, so th that's what I mean. It's about thinking above the, because when I, when I hear people talk about 1v1s, it's all about the attacking positions. It's all, oh, you've got the ball, go and take him on 1v1s. And I'm going, but your defender's still a player who can probably still go and do that. And if that's what brought you to his attention, that he was able to get the ball and travel and can get past people really, really quick, why take that away from him? especially at the younger age groups. Why take that away from him? Because that's what you want when he gets older. I can't remember the um, the game that it was, but I remember a clip a few years ago, and it was Thierry Henry who was analysing, um, I want to say maybe David Luiz, possibly. And they were talking about him playing out from the back, and Carragher was saying, I don't know what he's trying to do, dribbling out there, I believe. And Henry was like, no, I'd want him to do that. And there was kind of silence in the studio yeah. And he basically said, like, we're taught that if we can step out, well, if he can step out and beat one or two players with a pass, that's, uh, sorry, with a dribble and then pass, that's one or two less players that I've got to try and beat at the top end. Yeah, exactly. At times, I want him to try and dribble. I know it's risky, but the reward of it, if he does it right, is that actually me, I'm now in a 1v1 and Carragher, you know you're not going to stop me in a 1v1. Um, I think that's the right people involved that could be wrong, but yeah. I, thought, I think that alludes to your point that sometimes you need to allow them to go on little dribbles, little runs, and explore it. Yeah, exactly. Now, again, the skill of a coach, as they go through on, now, you, now you're going right. Different pictures might dictate different things, but then, like I said, it's a case of, of, of understanding and going, well, actually, try, try it. Go and do it. Why not? Because you just might be successful. That one, that time that you step in might lead to a goal which goes and wins us a game. And it, is there any particular um, strategies that you can think of or you've used or you've seen to aid those types of players coming into academy setups? So your, your, your street players that we've alluded to there, your cage players. Is there any particular strategy you look at and go, you know what, if you really want to help them settle in or you really want to get the best out of them, this is a way that you could potentially do it. I, I appreciate that people, individuals and stuff, so it can't be yeah. 
challenging. No, there's loads of ways. Like, for example, um, you've probably done it in the past, Mike, where, where I work a lot in whole part whole. So I will always work within a game into a game situation and then take it back into the game. But then a number a strategy that I've used is that I would get them amongst their teammates and amongst players really, really quickly. So what I mean by that is go and have a five-minute conversation, come up, talk to each other, have, have a strategy. What are you trying to achieve and whatnot? And then come and talk to us. But then what I might do cleverly sometimes, I might go, oh, but I would probably highlight the, the new player and go, he's the one that's got to come and basically talk to the coaches and deliver what you've all said. So all of a sudden, all the kids, as you can imagine, especially the younger ones, everyone's having their conversations. They're going, oh, but young David's got to go talk to the coach. So, right, David, what do you think? And this is what I think. So all of a sudden, the kids go in. So you've just got that conversation going on. It's made to feel a part of the group really, really quickly. And then, and then it's not... I'm not really too fussed about how much detail they go into when they come and talk to me as a coach. It's just that all of a sudden, it, the, the, the premise of it is, I want you to talk to your teammates and I want you to get to know your teammates and I need to do it in a covert way that you don't really know that we're doing it. Oh, and by the way, come and have a conversation with the coaches and then try and put that again. So, and all of a sudden, you do that two or three times, then before you know it, they're coming up with strategies, they're talking within the game and, and all of a sudden, they're, they're taking it within the, within the training session and you don't need to do that much. Or another thing I've done is... Um, and this is with younger ones. Tell us something about yourself, which not many people would know. But I'll, again, I'd get the group to go and do it. So again, some might be really, really out there. So some are, as you know, some kids are not shy. So they'll be like, oh my God, right. Da, 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 da. But then other kids might, a new kid might be like, well, actually, I, I, I do this. And all of a sudden they go, what, really? So again, it's just a conversation starter. So as you can imagine, classic one is, especially down here, who do you support? So, as you can imagine, Pompey, Pompey, Pompey. We've got some lads who support Saints, and then all of a sudden, yeah. So all, so all of a sudden, now, now all of a sudden, is that conversation going? So now you see the character of the of the of the of the kid who's going. No, well, actually, I support Saints because of this, 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 and they go, oh, really? Oh, okay, well, I understand it, and I don't really like them, but all right, that's fine, and all the other stuff. So. So there's loads of different strategies, but um, but I've, I I found that the biggest once you can get them communicating with each other and sharing ideas with each other, then very very quickly you see that they amalgamate into the team really really quickly, um, and then and then you just work off work on from there really. Okay, so I'm going to move on now, and this isn't trial by Twitter, by the way, but <laughs> that you've you've put some interesting stuff on here, which I, um. I kind of want to ask you about and so the yeah. first one that really pricked my ears up which I thought was a really interesting idea is you've mentioned about starting a session not with a topic but with a problem to be solved yep so could you divulge into a little bit of that because I think that's a really interesting idea yeah so having I, I, like I said I, 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 I read a lot and I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people um, one of them being my lovely partner who, who works in education. And, um, and this came about with, I was one day, I was, just, I, was, I was doing a session and she's like, oh, uh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm working on a session. She's like, oh, okay, well, what's the topic? 
and I think it was something like breaking lines or something. And she's like, well, why don't you start with a problem? So what do you mean start with a problem? I was like, no, traditionally, we start with a topic, we have a topic header, and then we work from there. And she's like, well, what are your, what, you put your sessions to do what? To improve the kids. I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, to improve, the, the notion of improving somebody is that they have to have something to work out. I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, so what would happen if you started with a problem that the kids had to work out and then you based your session off of that? I thought, that is really interesting. So I tried it. That so, so Mike, honestly, I went that night, I scrapped what I was doing, the breaking lines and whatnot, and just picking not random subjects out of the air, but we all have syllabuses that we work towards and it goes, right, you need to go shooting on it. So I worked out with the problem. I found that, that all of a sudden, by working out what, the, sorry, what was the pro problem, what was the problem for that week? So the, so the problem, so the problem that week was that how do you deal with an overload? So the kids had to work out how would they deal, how would they deal, so the team that they, they, they were in, they will be in an underload, how would you deal with it? What are, what are the problems that, you are, that are going to be posed to you? So all of a sudden, so I put that as the topic and I went, that's my problem. So then we looked at, then I looked at it from a psychological point of view and went, right, so what are some of the things that psychologically they're going to have to come up against? So all of a sudden you're talking about resilience. So what does resilience look like? In, in, in this particular thing so and then all of it and then basically I just I posed questions so when I went into the session I didn't tell the boys what does what 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 the I went right gentlemen we are going to have this problem there's going to be a problem in the session you've got to try and figure it out when you figured it out you've got to try and come and talk to myself and the other coaches who were there all of a sudden all of a sudden Mike you've had you've got kids who were you can see their mind working and going, oh my God, right, I'm, I'm really interested now. I'm really engaged. There's a problem that's got to be solved. What is it? So then, um, so yeah, so, 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 so we, so I had that problem and then all of a sudden it was really interesting because now you've got collaborative working. Now you've got kids actively engaged in the session and going, oh my God, right, what's the problem? And then when they came up with a problem, when they worked out the problem, we went, so, okay, right, so now what's the solution? And those kids that worked it out quicker than the others, I went, right, you can't go and tell your teammate what the problem is, but how are you going to help him figure out what the problem is without telling him? So all of a sudden they're going, oh, okay, right, so now I'm asking him about your leadership qualities. How are you going to get across the information to your teammate without giving him the answer? Oh, Oh, okay, so now I'm challenging that individual while having an impact on somebody else without necessarily giving them the question. And then at the end of it, we just literally drew up and went, right, so what was the problem? Problem was this. Eben, the problem was that actually during times of it, we had, we had different situations of overloads or we were in underloads. So sometimes our position had three players, sometimes they had four players more. So how did that impact it? What was the team strategy that you put in place against when you faced when the opposition had two more players compared to when they had five more players well this is what we did was it successful was it not successful well yeah it was successful at times 
how would you make it more successful? Well, next time we just need to do this, 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 and this. Who became frustrated? Yeah, I was really frustrated. Well, why were you really frustrated? Well, I was frustrated because so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so didn't do this. Did you, in that, during the game, did you pass on that information? No. Well, why didn't you pass on that information? Well, the reason I didn't pass on that information was because I didn't know how to get that across without it becoming alienated because we were, there was only three of us. But what would have happened if he did? Well, number one, I wouldn't have become frustrated and two, we might have been more successful. So that all came off. So that all came off me and my, and my missus challenging me going, start with a problem. Start with a problem that needs to be solved because off of that, you would hit all four corners and from your problem, the last thing that we, the, the usually the last thing that I would come up with would be usually the first thing that I start with, which, which would be my topic or what, I, or what I'm working on for that, for that, for that session. I guess challenging that, that idea is some people say, but what about the kids that don't identify the problem? Because then you're doing an hour and a half where they might not get it. They might just be looking around going, what the bloody hell is going on here? So w what happened with yep. those players? Because I imagine in the sessions that you've done subsequently, you have had individuals that are like that that maybe haven't been able to identify what the problem was. So what would your comeback be? Yeah. So, 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 when we, so when I did it, as you can imagine, there was one boy who was like, Eben, I do not understand. And I thought, oh! Interesting. So, old Eben, I would have jumped in and would have given you the answer really, really quickly. And so, but then I sort of took a step back and went, right, are you saying that to me because actually you really, really don't understand? Or are you saying that to me because others have worked it out and you're now getting frustrated to go, I just can't be bothered to, to actually try and figure it out? Or is it a combination of the both? So in that situation, I went, no, actually, right. You're going to have to try and figure it out. Now, I might have used guided discovery to try and help him along that pathway to try and help him figure it out. It wouldn't have been a case of, nope, don't talk to me until you come figure it out. I would probably give him golden nuggets. But again, in a football game, so this is what I always link it back to. I always link it back to the game. If you're at Fratton Park, and there are 20,000 people who are screaming contradictory things. So one might say press, the other one might say drop, other one says drop into a mid-block, other one says go and stand on the goal line. All four of them can't be right. So you've got to try and figure it out based upon the pictures that you see and very, very quickly try and, and go, right, this is the problem. These are some of the solutions which I can come up with. If I can't work out what some of the solutions are, by myself, I need to go and seek that information from somebody who could help me, i.e. teammates. If I work in a unit as a four, I might need to go, actually, right, gentlemen, what are we going to do? So collaborative thinking and collaborative communication. So, so in that, I, I, so we challenge the kids to go, well, actually, try and figure it out. If you can't figure it out, go and ask a mate who would help you along that. But then as coaches, as skilled coaches, I'd go, I'm not going to give you the answer straight away. Because I still want you to, I've still got to challenge you to figure it out, but I'm going to guide you. I'm going to guide you towards that because, because again, I could see that you're probably getting frustrated. So that little bit of help 
towards the answer is what you need, but then I'm not necessarily telling you out straight away. Because I think as coaches, it's too easy for us to sometimes go, Jimmy, control it on the back foot. So now Jimmy knows, well, okay, I'll just control it on the back foot. He doesn't understand the reason why. So, so why do I need to control it on the back foot? Why can't I control it myself? Why do I need to... Whereas if he understands the reason why he's doing something, he's more likely to, stay, to, to stick. And I would argue and go, learning takes place on a much deeper level when they figure it out themselves and they're able to problem solve rather than me or coaches giving the answer constantly. And that's the thing, that's the problem. And did you see improvements with those players in terms of from the fir first time that you did that style of session to maybe the fifth or tenth time you did it where they were able to pick up the problem quicker? Yeah, because because what happened now is that they challenged us. So it was a case of, so I called it Generation Y. So they go, so we, we're, in a, we're in a stage now, Mike, where kids will go, but why do you want me to do this? What, what's the benefits of me doing this? Why, why are you asking me to go and run 10 laps? What, 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 what do we get? So all of a sudden now, that challenges coaches to go, well, actually, now you need to know your craft. Because now they're going, well, actually, what's the benefit of me doing this? So you look 50 years ago, and I speak to a load of ex-pros, they go, well, we just did it because the coach said it. And I go, well, do you know why? And they go, no, we just did it. If you told us to run up a hill, we just run up a hill. Whereas now we've got kids who are more in tune and go, okay, right. So you're asking me to do this or you're asking me to figure this out. I understand now what you're asking me to do and I'm more aware. And you know what? Now I can just go and apply it within a game or to multiple scenarios which might happen within a game. And I can, but I'm comfortable enough now to pass that information onto other teammates but then I'm going to keep my coach on their toes by going, well, actually, why are we doing this? So as a coach, I need to be 100% sure and go, bang, I know what I'm talking about here because the kids have got to test me to make sure. And I like it as a coach because now I'm going, oh, right, now I need to know my stuff because if not, they've got to see right through it. So, um, so yeah, we saw, we saw huge benefits in terms of um, re kids recognising a problem then being able to adapt and come up with a solution. So in one game that we had, we gave the, the boys change the formation that we had, that we set out with. So at the end of the game, we asked them why they did that. And they came up and went, these were the reasons why, because we were getting overloaded in the wide areas. And someone so was really, really struggling. And he came across and told us he was struggling. So if he told us that he was struggling, that's telling us that he needs help. So we took it as a collective to go and change it because that's what was needed at that moment in time in that game state. So you go, as a coach, I'm going, oh my God, I retire now. I've, 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 I've reached. Because again, that's what you want. You want kids, you want, you want players who recognise and understand who are not afraid to make decisions based upon what they see because that's, been, because that's what they've been coached at training is not just a case of going to kids right there you go have ownership do what you want and they go but there's but we don't really know what we're doing so we saw massive benefits of it but then like i said but as coaches we went to them and go you're gonna have to come and explain why you did what you did 
So we understand that there's a thought process that's gone behind it and you just haven't gone, we've got to switch from a 3-5-2 to a 4-4-2 because it's comfortable. Okay, so I guess I've got two questions off the back of this. The first one being, um, what other type of problem, like problems did you set? So other examples, because I think people that would want to give this a go would probably want to have three or four examples of something that they could use and then come up with their own. And the next one, did you see any... Um, did you see any players that were surprisingly analytical and then were able to help others? Because I imagine we have our stereotypical leadership players and what they look like. But did you have any players that actually you, you found were very analytical in the game and then it gave them an opportunity to kind of divulge their knowledge to the others? Yeah, so so I'll start with your second question. Yeah, we, we saw a load of... We saw a lot of players who, like you said, all of a sudden you, you take a step back and you go, oh, I didn't know that about you. You really see. But what was interesting from my point of view was that some, it was interesting to see how the kids see the game. So some would see it, like I said, some would see it from a centre midfielder's point of view. So we had points where the boys were going, listen, look, if I'm going to go do this, right, I need you lot to go and do this because this is the reason why. But if I don't go and do, so if I don't go and join the attack, this is the reason why I can't join the attack because da, 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 da. and you're going, oh my god, that is now all of a sudden you're not just getting now you're not just getting a kid who understands the game, but what you're getting is that you're getting in-depth conversation between individuals about the game. So they're going, yeah, but right, this is, but I'm going to go do this, or actually this is what I saw. How about you? Well, actually, no, I saw this in a different way. That's why I didn't go and do this. Okay, well, do you know what? What's the strategy that we're going to come up with? Well, well, okay, but then does that include somebody else? Well, yeah, well, we need to go and tell him. We need to go and have that conversation with him because this is what this looks like. So you're going, oh. So all of a sudden, I always say my role as a coach is to make myself redundant. The role of a coach is to make yourself redundant. COVID will so, do that for you. Right. So people look at me. When I say that, people go, what, what, what do you mean make it redundant? I'm like, as a coach, my work is done in the training sessions and in the game. In the game, I, I want to drop in little nuggets that gets you to think. But if you could have that ownership and give it to players and then all of a sudden they're able to self-correct, they're able to manage, they're able to critique, they're able to adapt and change. That's the skill of a coach. By all of a sudden making yourself redundant because your players go, we've got this. But now you drop in little golden nuggets because they're not going to have all the answers or know how to get all the answers. And now all of a sudden when you speak, that's when they're really engaged because they go, all right, Mike or Eben have got something to say now. And we know it's going to be absolute golden nugget because actually we've reached a level in which we self-manage, um, adapt, question but oh my god this is going to probably help us move on to the next level for example um and other problems that i've set we are oh god you did there's, there's loads of problems you can set there is um there's times where we've gone and set um like for example right um one team can only play forward but if one team can only play forward what is the what what is that what what problem does that set for for us in in, in an attacking phase? So 
you set that problem, but then I've done it in the past where within a team, we've only gone and told two or three people. So we might target the... So say you play a free in midfield, and this is with an older age group, we've gone, right, you can only play forward. Oh, by the way, you've got to get that information across to your, to, to your teammates. So all of a sudden, you can imagine what happens that they only play forward and then all of a sudden, the teammates are going, why on God's earth did you not play it to me? Da, 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 da. And we challenge them to go, you can't go out and tell them, I can only play forwards. So how do you get that information across to them that they don't become irate at you? Because, they, because again, state saying, I've dropped off, I've supported behind the ball, and you've gone and bloody pinged it forward. What are you doing? So all of a sudden now, but then... But then covertly, I'm putting that pressure under. I'm putting that the centre midfielders under pressure now because now you've got to be resilient because the coach has told you this is the problem. You've got to get flack from your teammates because again they're doing all the like I said, support the ball from behind to the side. You might not. So what problems does that solve? You can't play it back, and all of a sudden your position has dropped into a into a mid block or a low block. So what problems does that does that what does that pose? How do you get across the information to your teammates so they don't become irate and they understand and go, oh my God, right, this is what we've got to do. So actually, me dropping behind, I don't need that at this moment in time. So if that doesn't happen, you've got to try and support me in front. What that looks like is up to you guys. So all of a sudden now, so that was a really interesting session because as you can imagine, there was a lot of um, arms throwing up in the air and, and, and a little bit of chaos within the team playing forward. Because they're going, what, what's going on here? What on God's earth are you doing? We need, like, can't go forwards. Oh, freaking hell. Yeah, we can. I just need you lot to do it. So what does that look like? Do all of a sudden you go, right, your front three or, and, or wingers or whoever, right, you lot just get forward. Just get forward. We'll, 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 we'll decide how we're going to defend in a minute. So now that's the ownership. I'm giving the ownership to the three players and going, go on, sort it out. Yes, you've got to get a flag from your teammates, how do you deal with that? Now I'm asking you to communicate with your teammates without giving them the answer. How are you going to deal with that? I'm asking you to be resilient because people are not going to understand what you're doing because you're only going to be playing in one direction. How do you deal with that? I'm asking you to be creative. So you can only pass forward. So I can only pass forward doesn't mean I can't dribble back. So I can dribble back to, so if I get the ball, I might dribble past my, my fullback but now because he's in front of me, I can still play it. What does that look like? So all of a sudden you get all those little things and nuggets that come out of the session and you're going, what does it look like? Off you go. Let's see. I guess with those midfield three as well, particularly if you do it, those receiving skills and having to get yourself out of trouble, you look at some of the best players in, in the Prem that are able to receive. One of the things they can do is they can manipulate the ball to go forward or they can beat someone in a 1v1 to go forward or they can disguise their touch to go forward. So actually making it so that they can't just bounce things back. You're then working on those receiving skills or movement skills or whatever to oh, get there, better at right, and manipulate the ball forward. There is loads. There is loads that you're working on. There is loads that you're working on. But then again, we just had that conversation. We haven't spoken about this is the topic. These have got to be your tech tax, social, physical elements. You've just gone, this is the problem. This is a problem which you lot are going to have to, this is a problem I'm going to pose to you lot. And then all of a sudden, everything else sort of just falls off of that. 
and then, and then I believe you just get a lot more returns because now you've got that decision making, but it's that problem solving again, which might be, let's be honest, when we play on a Saturday or on a Sunday, the game of football is one team's got to set up a particular way, we're going to set up a particular way. They're going to pose us problems defending as well as attacking. We've got to try and figure those out and better them to go and score to eventually, hopefully, and I'm talking about like older kids and like later ages, to win the game. First team level, that's what it is. It's a, it's a game of problem solving. You're going to pose me a, a problem. We're going to pose you a problem. The team that, that will come out with it will literally be the team that will come and, and work it out. I.e., the weekend just gone. Man City, Leicester. Man City, Leicester. Brendan Rodgers at the end when we changed it this way because we knew that this is the problem that they would pose us. But we didn't go and... But we knew the plan and we knew we would get success from it. That's it in a nutshell. Right. So I'm now going to come on to one of, you, one of your other ones, which links into this very nicely. Sorry, I'm just finding it. No, that's right. <laughs> um, so, and... Oh, actually, I'm not going to say that bit. Unpopular opinion, you don't have a specific playing philosophy. Yeah. Why? And discuss. So, everybody... So, so you talk about philosophies. Everyone's like, right, I, I, I like to play... I like to play attacking football. I like to play out from the back. Um, I like to... I, and I go but your playing philosophy is dictated by the players that you have. So if you are a coach, the skill of a coach is understanding the players that you have and then adapting or coming up with a philosophy which is best for the players that you have, which, which will gain the most success. So, for example, um, Pep Guardiola in the Barcelona days, everybody came out with, oh my God, we play out from the back. We play out from the back, two centre-half split, la-di-da. And I go, okay. So with the greatest respects, and this is no slight on them because I think they're fantastic players, you have John Terry and the Tony Adams. They turn around and go, That's, our, our skill set is not that. So now, as a coach, do you go, actually, do you know what? I'm going to be stubborn and it's going to be my playing philosophy and I'm going to implement it no matter what. Or do you look at your team and go, actually, do you know what? Although I might have this personal playing philosophy, this is not, it is not going to be the right playing philosophy for this team. So I will adapt to the players. So your players will dictate your playing philosophy. So that's the skill of a coach, isn't it? Skill of a coach is going, right, what does this group of players need? Let's adapt to it until such a time where I might potentially have my preferred way of playing and I get those type of players in that come into that. So, again, I speak to a number of coaches, and, 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 and again, I try and challenge, and I go, right, so you go, you want to play 4-4-2. All of a sudden, tomorrow, you find yourself, um, you find yourself taking over Wickham Wanderers' first team, and you have Adebayo Akinfenwa, who plays up front. And... He's not the most mobile. He's not going to run in behind. What do you do? Uh, well, um, what do you do? Chairman goes to you and goes, right, we've got no money. These are the players you've got. Um, 
So, 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 so that was my unpopular opinion. That's why I said it. I was like, I just don't believe in playing philosophies because you're playing philosophies dictated to by the players that you have, and the skill of a coach is coming up with the best solution with the players that you have. I think it's interesting because I've had similar discussions, which is why I wanted to ask you about it. And the uh, analogy I use is <clears throat> you, your manager, the manager's just got a sack. You've got five games left in the season to try and keep the team up. You need seven points. In that five games, are you going to try and input your philosophy onto the team you've just taken over, even though you've got a few round pegs in a few square holes? Or are you going to go with the previous coach's philosophy and hope that you can motivate and engage the players to get the seven points to keep you up to then hopefully keep you in the job long enough to then identify and recruit the players that fit your philosophy? And I think when you pose it to people like that, some of the answers you get back are really interesting. Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's it. And, and like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky in terms of the number of coaches who are coming underneath me and I'm going, these are the, some of the questions that are going to be posed to you and th- these are the, some of the solutions and these are some of the scenarios that you might find yourself in, in the next couple of years. Like you said, that all of a sudden, is, it goes back to that old Mike Tyson saying, doesn't it? Everyone's got a plan until they get like knocked in the face and all of a sudden it just goes out the window. Because like you said, you're going, listen, we'd all love a back four of Puyol, um, do I mean Sergio Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, fullbacks Dani Alves and Jordan? We'd all love those, but sometimes that is not the game. You might, like I said, you might find yourself, like you just said, that you might go, "Oh, okay, right. We've only got seven games. Right, um, it's going to take me X amount of weeks to get across this. Right, this is what we need to do to try and get these three points on the Saturday to stay up." So, like you said, it. it so that's why when everyone talks to me about playing philosophies and everything else, I go. Okay, very interesting. It'd be interesting to see, like I said, if I put you into a a scenario, whether that would change. Yeah, and I I think I've had discussions around my uh, portfolio because on the course, mm-hmm. and one of my big ones is they asked about my out of possession philosophy, and yep. I said uh, I don't have one, and I actually got it off of. Um, a guy called Bill Belichick, who's New England Patriots coach. And his mm-hmm. thing defensively on defense is to take away their like 1A plan. So yeah. whatever the thing they love to do is, take that away from them. He said, because it does two things. First thing, it frustrates them. Because if you've got a plan and you've been building over the weeks and months to play in this style and that gets taken away from you, it becomes frustrating. But two, they're more likely to make mistakes if they're doing things that are unnatural to them. Yeah. He works on the principle of takeaway 1A. There's certain non-negotiables they have, like they don't run down the middle, simple things like that. But he aims to take away their, their plan 1A and make them do stuff they're not comfortable with. Um, and work from there and I, I think it's really interesting um, in football about how people do that so I was watching the Arsenal game the other night against Liverpool and to be fair Liverpool are very good but one thing I noticed quite early on was Aubameyang wouldn't let the ball go to Alexander-Arnold in deeper areas he yeah. would constantly show um, Gomez back across to Virgil van Dijk and would make a real emphasis of not that. So I was thinking, well, why has he done that? Well, they've obviously emphasised 
and highlighted that Liverpool, when they build the attack, like to go through Arnold because he's got a great range of pass and can yeah. switch up both sides and join in. So that was a really simple thing. Granted, it didn't work particularly well, but it's a really simple thing where Arteta's probably first thought is to go and press all the time, but he isn't at the moment because he's identifying the players he's got. He can't do that. So he's making concessions and going, actually, I'm going to take your 1A away and we're going to try and put you into this area where I think we'll get a bit more joy. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because because like what you just said, I, I, I looked upon, I, I saw I saw snippets of the, of the game. And like you say, taking it from the Arsenal, because massive Arsenal fan, what, what, what from a... From a coach's view, what, what really frustrated me was, uh, again, the persistence of playing out from the back. And I'm looking at it and I'm just going, Jurgen Klopp knows. He's going, no matter what, you are always going to play out from the back. So, actually, so, so, so this is where I go in terms of playing philosophy, in terms of, so, the scenario is, you're coming up against a team that loves to high press. <laughs> so, but we're still going to try and play out from the back. So in my head, I'm looking at it going, so are you playing into the hands of the opposition? Because you're not posing them a problem now. Because they go, go on in. Actually, this is what we train train for. And no matter how many times the watching million saw it, I mean, my God, man, it's just, it's, (laughs) what's your plan B? Or what's plan C? Or actually, do you need to go and drop it into the fallback areas because that's where the space is going to be or and then all of a sudden and, and this is what I mean so everyone goes oh but that's his playing philosophy so if I was playing against Arsenal I'll go nine times out of ten gentlemen they've got to play out from the back do you know what we're going to literally squeeze because they're never ever going to drop it in behind into the space yeah. so but now this with the pace that you've got up top with Pepe and Aubameyang and... exactly or again like I said, I looked at the Man City and Leicester one, and that was just for me. That was just a the the, the, the tactical nous and just a tactical chess that was being played there. You're just going, oh my god! And literally, like I said, you're looking at it, you listen to him after, and then Brendan was just going, well, usually we don't play with a five at the back, but I had to nullify it and take away their their A one plan because this is how they play. Oh, and we went and scored five goals, and you just go in. Jesus Christ, there's a man who's going, I'm willing to adapt. Yes, I might have a preferred playing philosophy, but actually there's a, there's a section of adaptation or there's a reason of adaptation depending on who we play. It'd be interesting where you look at Pep and you go, do you look at the opposition and take that or do you just go, nope, this is how we play, irrespective of who we play against, this is what we're going to go and do. So... So that's why I just look at playing philosophies and I go, I'm popular opinion, but yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in them. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a, opposite to you. I'm a Spurs fan, so um, and I've been watching, watching Spurs recently, and something that I've seen that they've done quite well, to be fair, is they're at the moment when their teams are trying to trap them down one side, they set the centre half, who then goes to the big diagonal switch. Mm-hmm. Often, often to the far winger or far fullback, and originally, like a lot of the switches weren't getting there. And I'm thinking, what is going on? We're just giving the ball away for no reason. But actually, when I started watching, particularly the game last night in Newcastle, what they've got better at um, is identifying when that big switch is going to happen. Players 
get around the ball for the seconds. Yeah. So what they're now identifying is going, okay, you're trying to keep us all one side, not a problem, because I'm going to get out of that by a big switch. Now it's either going to get there and I'm going to be in a 1v1, or if I'm landing it on your fullback's head, where are you going to head it? Because if you try and head it back to the goalkeeper, the guy who's pressing him is going to be in. If you try and head it inside, again, he's going to be under pressure. So more often than not, they just try and head it out, as in away from the pitch, which more often than not at the moment, Tottenham have got two players waiting there for that second. And it's almost a way of recycling the ball quickly to get away from that press. Yeah. Um, So so here's my question to you now as as the Spurs fan, right? Has Marino come up with that based upon the players that he's got and he's gone, right, this is how we're going to go play? Or, or has that been his, in inverted commas, his playing philosophy right throughout his, his managerial career up to, up to date? My, my opinion at the minute is that he's come up with the players that the players that he's got, he's trying to find something that works. Um, and he's trying to integrate people into a system. Because if you look at him at Chelsea, he had two wingers that could come inside, Drogba really powerful and strong with thing, and they would count and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And obviously, there's some non-negotiables he'd have. He'd have Pereira would sit in and Cole would get on a little bit more and, and whatnot. And Tottenham have tried to do that to a certain degree with some of the signings. But I also think at the moment he's identified that um, we struggle defensively quite a lot. Mm. Um, and so he's trying to figure out ways for us maybe not to become opened up by trying to play, losing it, and then all of a sudden we're right up against it. He wants us to be in banks so that defensively it might little bit be a little bit easier. And I'll be honest, like I've seen over the last few games a little bit of an improvement in terms of us trying to engage higher up the pitch but it's yeah. very structured when we do it. Um, yeah. Whereas before, it was very unstructured. And you'd see someone go, then someone else go, then someone else. I was just like, this, you're going in ones, you're going to get played round. I'm seeing a little bit more of a structure in terms of they're going in groups um, yeah. and all that type of stuff. So I, I think that he still doesn't have the team that he'd want, if I'm being brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he made some concessions earlier on, playing back fives and all that type of stuff to yeah. then try and get through to the point where he gets a team that's kind of in his mould, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I, yeah but, but, but that's what I'm, you see, that's what I'm trying to, get, that's what I'm trying to allude to in terms of, it, 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 it's, like I said, it's understanding and looking at the group and going, right, what, what is the best fit for this moment in time? And, and like I said, that I mean, he, he might want to play the, like Barcelona, but like you, like you just highlighted, you're probably going. I don't quite have the personnel to do that, so actually, we need to go and put this in. So, um, so yeah, so 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 that's why I just don't believe in playing philosophies. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Listen, I'm going to ask you one last question, and I'll let you get on because uh, we've been chatting for a while. Which that's is, right. um, if you, well, sorry, I ask this to everyone: who is the best player? that you've either played with or against or worked with or against and why? And who's the best coach you've either worked with or against and why? Best player that I've, that I've worked with was Amari Hutchinson, who's currently at Arsenal under 18s, I believe now, youth international. So I worked with him 
not many people know, but he started at Charlton when he was like seven, eight. And some of the stuff he could do, you just weren't, you, you're literally just looking at him just going, Jesus Christ, like what is, how, I don't even know how you are doing this. And it's been nice to track his development because again, some of the stuff that he, that he did, which was a lot of street football and a lot of skills and a lot of flicking it over people's heads and whatnot. Like if you go and watch his games, and I think there's loads of stuff on YouTube, he still carried that on, but now he's still, but now he's got a reason of and an understanding of where and why I do it, and it's not just done for for show. So, so that is one of the, and I think he will go on to have a massive, massive career, like a, a great career within the game. And he's just a good down to earth kid. So, so he's one that I've worked with in the past. He's been absolutely unreal. Literally, I just looked down and just gone, Jesus Christ! I don't, I honestly do not know how you do that. And another coach who I've worked with, who for me has had a massive, massive impact. Um, not well known, not 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 a, a a big name by by any means, but there's a gentleman called Reese Williams who's currently the youth development phase leader at Charlton. Um, absolutely unreal. Got got just the just the pearls of wisdom that he's got and, and he sees and how he sees the game. Um, still keep in contact with him now. Um, he, he's by far one of the, the best coaches and one of the best youth innovators, I, I would go to say, that, 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 that is currently around. Just for the pure fact of his knowledge, how he sees the game, how he... His ability to get across information in a way that still gets you to think about it and you go, oh, I've come up with that. And then when you look back at it and you look at how he said it and put it up, you're going, oh, you are really clever. You are really clever how you got me to come up with the answer, but making me believe that I came up with the answer where it's really, you you came up with it, but but put it in a way that, that I had to go and discover it. So so those are the two. And, and like I said, Reese is, Reese is still up. Um, Charlton and, and, he's, and he's absolutely fantastic absolutely fantastic coach one of the best that I've worked with and, and, and seen Perfect listen Ed really appreciate your time mate and obviously stay safe and hopefully we can catch up again with you soon No definitely thanks for, thanks for having me on like I said really enjoyed the conversation No worries speak to you later Speak to you later Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.